0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Uh, Basically, my company is a a format to teach people how to train their bodies properly. Uh, And it goes way beyond training as an athlete. It it really is, is all about health um i I think some of the missing ingredients in today's health world is people don't understand the basic foundation of movement which is flexibility and without that you can't gain strength you can't compete as an athlete at a higher level um even just normal health because the secret the, the key to what we have found is that tension creates all of these musculoskeletal issues that the medical world puts labels on whether it's a migraine headache or plantar fasciitis or bulging disc or restless leg syndrome, arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis. All these things have one thing in common, tension. And we teach people how to get past that, get rid of migraines, get rid of bulging disc, get rid of uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. All those things are just tension. We teach you how to get rid of it by teaching you how to move. Then you can get stronger. You can have a healthier life. You can compete at your highest level in athletics, whatever that sport is. So it's really a matter of reaching ultimate human performance. That's what we teach. I'm Joe Hippenstiel from Ultimate Human Performance, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast.
2: What's going on, everybody? Today is an awesome day. I am going to introduce you to somebody that I have just learned about myself uh, since about Christmas, and this gentleman's name is Joe Hippensteel. He is a really remarkable person. If that name sounds familiar, maybe it's because you read David Goggin's book, Can't Hurt Me. He was mentioned in that, over three million of those Books have been sold, so maybe you're one of the people that that read it. I certainly did, and I remembered Joe's name from there. Made a couple of other connections. Had a little bit of an injury uh, with my lower back around Christmas time, and I decided that I was going to really um, make flexibility, mobility, a bigger part of what I do. Uh, and that led me to Joe. It led me to Ultimate Human Performance, and the results have been. Really, really good, really good. Um, so I want to introduce you to him and let him tell you his whole story, how he's learned what he knows and what is it exactly that he knows, and how you know training someone training with someone or training someone like David Goggins or myself or anybody, many of the Olympic athletes that he has helped go to the Olympics, all the elite athletes, elite military how Training those people and the lessons he learned through doing that for a long time can apply to anyone, a regular person, a fishing guide, a, uh, a someone who has an overuse injury from typing, someone who has an overuse injury from, from playing pickleball too much. How does all of this apply there and how can it help you or anyone to have a better life, to be able to do the things that you want to do? you want to, you like pickleball, you want to play pickleball, but damn, your elbow hurts. Joe's got some answers. All right. So we're lucky to have Joe Hippensteel from Ultimate Human Performance join us today. And here we go. Joe, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for spending some time with us. Um, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is introducing my audience to interesting people that I have found and that have enhanced my life. And you are certainly one of those people. Um, tell me, tell uh, h- how would you even introduce yourself um, at, as Ultimate Human Performance? What is Ultimate Human Performance? Uh,
1: basically, my company is a... A format to teach people how to train their bodies properly. Uh, and it goes way beyond training as an athlete. It, it really is, is all about health. Um, I, I think some of the missing ingredients in today's health world is people don't understand the basic foundation of movement, which is flexibility. And without that, you can't gain strength. You can't compete as an athlete at a higher level, um, even just normal health. Because the secret, the, the key to what we have found is that Tension creates all of these musculoskeletal issues that the medical world puts labels on, whether it's a migraine headache or plantar fasciitis or bulging disc or restless leg syndrome, arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis. All these things have one thing in common, tension. And we teach people how to get past that, get rid of migraines, get rid of bulging disc, get rid of uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. All those things are just tension. If We teach you how to get rid of it by teaching you how to move Then you can get stronger. You can have a healthier life. You can compete at your highest level in athletics, whatever that sport is. So it's really a matter of reaching ultimate human performance. That's what we
2: teach. Mm. Well, I was, I was, uh, you know, I have scoured the internet. I have gone to every kind of orthopedic, acupuncturist, Voodoo specialist, witch doctor that I can possibly find to try to diagnose what's been going on with my with my calf, and that's how I ended up um, finding you. And I found you for an, uh, in a, in a number of different ways. Uh, first, I read David Goggins' book, which you're listed in there, and that had to be um, big for your business. I just saw that he has sold three million copies of that book, so yeah. that's yeah. Uh, good for him and good for you too. Um, so I made the first connection there. Then your brother is Dave Hippensteel, who is a four-time CrossFit Games champion in the 60-plus division, who's now recently moved to the 65-plus division, so he stands a better chance of winning this year. Um, But that's pretty impressive. And so I was looking at what he was doing. I'm like, this guy just seems to stay injury-free. He's older than me. He's performing as well, if not better than me. And I'm interested in what he's doing, and so I saw something on his Instagram or somewhere where he he said that he was doing your 24 uh, movements. I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, okay. Now there's two things that have pointed me to you, and so then I looked it up and uh, and got the videos and just started doing them. And man, what a difference uh, that it is making in in not just like my athletic performance and and we're we're diagnosing and working on my calf. That's going to happen. Um, my calf is a weird thing. It just, just for everybody else, you know, this, cause we just had a little session, but I just out of nowhere, I will hurt my calf. And you know, I, I've run marathons. I've done all kinds of running. I do CrossFit all the time. Uh, my calves are so, them what I would consider some of the strongest muscles in my body, but for whatever reason, I'm having this issue, and just out of nowhere, I might run 200 feet, I might run 20 miles, and bam, something happens. So I have really tried to to get over this, and that's how I ended up finding you. But what a difference it's made, these, these 24 movements that you have, and that's to put, you know, that's really... Putting what you're doing very in a very simplistic thing so I don't mean I don't mean that the wrong way but I'm doing these 24 movements religiously and I'm doing them for about an hour to an hour and a half a day and man I mean I walk downstairs better I am moving better I am feeling better I'm sleeping better everything everything's better it's exactly what you said it was it's like the fountain of youth so how did you how did you come up with with what you're teaching now
1: yeah. Um, it, it goes back to, uh, to make a long story short. Um, I'm a small guy that wanted to make the Olympic team in the decathlon the decathlon. For those of you who don't know is 10 events in track and field and the <clears throat> winner of the decathlon in the Olympus is considered the world's greatest athlete. Mm-hmm. So I'm a small guy competing against bigger guys. I'm five, eight, they're six, three. So for me to high jump against them, I have to jump seven inches over my height just to, just to get to their height. If they jump six, five and I jump six, five, If they jump 6'5", and they get more points than me because I jump 6'4", who's the better athlete? I'm jumping nine inches over my head. They're jumping two inches over their head. (laughs) But but they don't care about that in the Olympics. What they care about is who has the highest score. But for me to attempt, without having the horsepower, without having the speed, without having the strength, to compete against these bigger guys, I was kind of like the little brother running around chasing all these big guys. So (laughs) I had to try and figure out a better way to train, uh, something that hasn't been done before, not just lifting more weights or – running more, um, it it was a matter of, I have to put my thinking cap on and figure out some creative way of training. And I went through a bunch of different theories of, uh, I was training 10 hours a day at 1.65 hours a week. Sunday was my day off, I'm training for five hours. And so that didn't get me there, I was exhausted all the time, I was injured all the time. This is one of the big keys is, the intensity with which I trained for for up to 20 years was so hard on my body that I had injuries all the time. It's just typical, Um, when you're a decathlete, either your pec hurts or your hamstring hurts or your calf hurts or your shoulder hurts. You're throwing the discus javelin shot put, you're doing the high jump, long jump pole vault. You're doing hundred meters hurdles, 400 meters, 1500 meters. You're training all the time and everything hurts. So I got to a point where I thought, okay, I've got to do something extraordinary. And one of my theories was, well, if I could shed 40 pounds before a track meet, it'd be like <laughs> high jumping on the moon, which I thought would be an interesting you know, theory to develop. But you obviously can't shed 40 pounds in one day, you can't shed it in a week. So I thought, aha, I'm gonna wear a 40 pound vest. Everywhere I go, everything I do through all my training, except for the pole vault and high jump, but I'm gonna wear it all the time to get used to weighing 200 pounds. Then when I take it off, I'm 160. It's like, wow, you feel like you're running on the moon. You're like just bounding and you're powerful. The problem is that I learned from some of these training methods is that I learned what parts of it work and what parts of it don't work. And I'll give you an example. Um, in my pole vault run, which is normally 102 feet, your, your steps have to be exactly on so that when you plant the pole, it's exactly above your step. And if, if you're in or out, you don't get on the biggest pole. You don't have enough uh, perfect angle on the pole when you plant it. So you can't get on the biggest poles, which throws you highest in the air. Mm-hmm. So what happened What happened during that seven-month period of weighing 200 pounds was my, my run kept getting shorter and shorter. When I take off my vest and I'd run down the runway, I felt like I was running 100 miles an hour. What, what was happening was I was creating smaller neuromuscular patterns. I, I was getting used to weighing 200, so I was taking a little bit shorter pattern, but I didn't know that. I felt like I was going so much faster, but I was actually running slower. Mm. What that taught me was then – how to train my body to run faster with with longer strides quicker turnover so i learned that instead of using extra weight or running uphill i have to start running downhill to create that faster neuromuscular pattern then when you're used to running downhill then you go back on a straightaway and you you have this new new pattern hmm. neuromuscular so it's theories like that that i kept developing again i was still injured a lot i was i was still trying to get as strong as possible my final theory came to this, and this is to answer your question. I call it the kangaroo. Th- <clears throat> excuse me, the kangaroo theory. I figured that if I'm going to compete against these bigger guys, I'm going to have to be built like a kangaroo. I have to have massively strong legs, uh, like all the sprinters in the Olympics. They all have massive glutes, massive quads. I didn't have that. I had strong for my for my proportion for my uh, body and weight, but to develop massive legs, I had to, I set a goal of doing being able to squat twice my body weight. Mm-hmm. That was the first goal. It took me a while to get there because it's, it's pretty heavy to squat twice your body weight. Then I thought, okay, I've gotta do 10 reps with twice my body weight. Then I thought I've gotta do five sets of 10 reps. <laughs> Eventually, what the goal led to was I was doing 10 sets of 10 at twice my body weight or 21 reps with twice my body weight. Now, I work with professional athletes all the time. I work with Navy SEALs. Very few guys can squat one rep twice their body weight. When I finally got to 10 sets of 10, my body was so beat up, but it was so strong because it took me years to figure out how not to be injured to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So ultimately, I found ranges of motion that would keep me elastic while I was doing all this punishing work. Uh, with It's like carrying around a, a, a truck on the back of your yeah. rollers. It's just heavy. And, and you're punishing your body every time you're doing it. But if you stay flexible all the way through it, which eventually led to all these ranges of motion, these discoveries. And in that quest, I learned two main things. Number one, injuries mostly come from tension in the muscle, not a torn labrum or torn rotator cuff or or, uh, grade one, two or three strain. It's almost always what I I started uh, figuring out was muscle lock. What is muscle lock? Medical world doesn't really know what that is. They know what a kink or a knot, or they call it hypermyotonia, which is hyper muscle tone. Um, But they don't really understand it. And when I finally figured what this was, before one of the Olympic trials, after four years of training, 10 hours a day, I'm living in my car, I'm in debt, and I'm I'm, I'm just trying to live out that last couple of months to make the Olympic team, I pull a hamstring. Mm. And the doctor says, oh, it's torn. The coach says, oh, your hamstring's torn. The trainer says, oh, your hamstring's torn. I'm going to chiropractors, orthopedics. I'm going to acupuncture. I'm going to voodoo. Like you said, you go to everybody. Nobody has an answer. And so I'm doing everything I can to strengthen it because I thought my hamstring was torn. Here's the problem. The more I strengthened it, the worse it felt. So I thought, okay, it's really torn. But at night I would do like a little bit of massage on the muscle, a little bit of trigger point work. And then I would, it seemed like the more that I did that, the more I could stretch it. So I kept doing this trigger point massage work, the more I could stretch it. When I finally get my nose down to my knee with my leg straight, it's gone. This torn muscle is gone. So it obviously wasn't torn. It was a kink in the muscle. So I started calling it, it felt like it was locked. So I started calling it muscle lock. When people have problems with their shoulder, they have muscle lock. When they have migraine headache, muscle lock. When they have calf problems, muscle lock. It's all a matter of, I'm gonna explain physiologically real quickly here. Mm -hmm. When I take a a little fiber, a little string of a muscle that's locked, blow it up a thousand times in the microscope, you have sections called sarcomeres that contract release, contract, release. And you have hundreds of these in a row, which makes an eight inch muscle expand to 10 inches or contract to eight inches. When it when it goes beyond tight, sometimes it'll lock and it doesn't open anymore. No matter what you do, you can't open it unless you do what we teach. And what we teach is long, slow, static stretching, repeated, um, uh, repeated um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reps. Uh, yeah, reps. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we'll, we'll do like two minutes of stretching, one minute rest. Two minutes of stretching, one minute rest. And what happens is when you do it slowly and carefully, if you don't go past what we say a seven in pain, your body starts communicating with the muscle saying, okay, the pain's not too bad. We'll start adapting for you. It tells the muscle to let go. So it goes from here to here. Now you see all these little gaps in here, starts filling in with blood, calcium, magnesium. That's like putting oil in the Tin Man on the Wizard of Oz. When then we keep doing the reps, eventually you get this eight inch muscle expanding to 10 inches again. Now the problem with therapies today as when you're doing acupuncture or uh, electric stim or you're doing heat, cold uh, massage, it doesn't lengthen the muscle. You may, you may smash down the tension in that locked sarcomere, but if you don't lengthen it, you still have an eight-inch muscle in a 10-inch slot. Hmm. That's the secret. So virtually everything that people feel when they hurt in the musculoskeletal system, even migraine headaches, it's muscles that are locked in the back of your neck that create this problem with the nerves that go to the, to above your forehead and all through the, the sides of your skull. And while the medical community is out trying to figure out all this stuff and $42 billion a year is spent on migraine research and treatment, we've got it locked. We've got it figured out. Um, we've done 100 cases with virtually 100% success. So all these medical mysteries are really goes right back to tension. I know that that was a kind of a long story, yeah, but no, no. what I figured out was how to get massively strong and, and perform beyond your genetic potential is to get your body to be massively strong, but massively um, flexible. Now, the scientific world does not know much about flexibility. but The number one organization in the United States uh, called the ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, they're the place you go and a couple other organizations where you get certified as a personal trainer and physiology uh, related fields. They have in a 380 page manual of what they teach, they have two pages devoted to flexibility. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to show you what I have devoted to flexibility. Fifty pages. Fifty pages. I think one day they're going to rewrite that manual. They just don't know enough, and and they don't understand um, how the body works. When a personal trainer says don't do static stretching before you workout, they're just not correct on that. What what you they think that you're inactivating muscle fibers when you stretch before a workout. What's really happening, Tom? is you're unlocking locked fibers if you do it the way we teach. Meaning that you are taking these things and you're just waiting, you're being patient and you allow them to open. It's not a 10 second stretch or a 30 second stretch. It's a two minute stretch. When you start opening, then you take a one minute rest, you're waiting for blood flow. Now they're starting to move through that small range of motion. Then you do it again and you do it again. So you get this full range of motion, you don't have a locked muscle anymore. So the secret is understanding what locked muscle is, um, and understanding that virtually every musculoskeletal issue is is caused from tension, which eventually is what we defined as muscle lock. <laughs> so if you want to get rid of migraines, if you have a bulging disc, a, what is a bulging disc? It's two vertebrae that are smashing a balloon in between. If you smash it hard enough, it starts bulging to one side. Right. If you take pressure off, balloon bubble comes back in. Same with the disc. We do it every day. We do it all the time. We've saved over 500 clients in the past 10 years. From from back surgery, wow. a bulging disc. You take the pressure off. How do you take the pressure off? Not just traction, because you have muscles on all sides of the spine. So you have to bend to the front. You have to bend to the back. You have to bend to the side. You have to bend to the side. You have to rotate. It creates space in the vertebra, so there's no more bulging disc.
2: Yeah, that's so. You you said you had you learned two things. One was the injuries become come from muscle lock, and you went through that. What that is? What was the second thing that you learned?
1: Um, it, it's it's. Muscle lock is the key to understanding what you should have as a standard for range of motion. Mm. In other words, in other words, I'm I'm going to show you a chart in my book and I think it'll really help you uh, to understand the concept. Um, I don't know if you're
2: able to, but if you have that, I, I allowed you to share your screen or we can just do it like that. That's good.
1: Does that work for you? Yeah. Yeah. So if you see on the left side of the, of the chart is your physical abilities when you're young, when you're born you have high flexibility, you have low intensity or or activity in your lifestyle. As you age, your intensity and the demands on your body go up across the chart and your flexibility goes downhill. When they cross, we call that the X age. The X age is when things start to hurt. That's when the the doctors, it's like for some people it's forty, age 40, for some it's age 26, for some it's 62. When you start to hurt and the doctor says, Oh, you have arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis, bulging disc, migraine headaches, plantar fasciitis, tennis elbow, restless leg syndrome. All those things are just one thing: tension. So, what do we do? We we take this this flexibility, which is declining through life. When things start to hurt, we take it and we and we bring it right back up to staying ahead of the the intensity. Otherwise, you go into this big red danger zone where you have all those medical labels. Hmm. So, literally, by having twenty four ranges of motion with the standard. The odd thing to me is, you go to a physical therapist. And you say, "What's the standard?" For example, for arm or for shoulder extension, meaning how far can you lift your arm behind it? And they say, "What do you mean? What do you mean by standard?" I said, well, "What do you mean? What do I mean? Yeah. Why don't you have a standard?" They say, "Because everybody's different." Well, everybody's different in the bench press too. Some people can bench press 100 pounds. Some people can bench press 300 pounds. That doesn't mean you can't improve. Right. So what I'm what I'm saying is, for them to say an average shoulder extension is 30 to 60 degrees, I'm saying. Yeah, but what should it be? What I found was here was my, one of the amazing initial discoveries in this whole theory that I've developed. <clears throat> when I'm throwing the discus, shot put, and javelin all week long, and I'm pole vaulting, there's a lot of demand on your shoulder. You're throwing the discus here, you're throwing the shot put, you're throwing the javelin. I got to a point where my shoulder was not just hurting after throwing events, it's hurting every day, it's hurting all day, it's hurting 24 hours a day through the night. I feel like I'm sleeping with knives in my shoulders. Mm. Now I'm not sleeping and I'm still training 10 hours a day. You start to go crazy and everything hurts. You go to the doctor, you go to the ortho, you go to the acupuncture. They're trying all these things and nothing works. You massage it. I figure, okay, I'm going to get it strong. So I'm in there bench pressing. I'm in the shoulder pressing. I'm doing my, my rows, my chins. It's getting worse. And one day I'm in the weight room and I'm always experimenting. I mean, when I'm training for 10 hours, my last two hours or three hours, at night or in the weight room, and I'm experimenting with things. I'm trying things, I'm hanging on the ropes, doing my pole inversion, trying to trying to do different drills. I, I grabbed this cable behind me and it just felt good to like pull my shoulder up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The higher I went, the better my shoulder felt. So I kept going higher and higher, put on more weight, the cable pulls my arm up higher. I get to 120 degrees and my shoulder stops hurting. I'm like, wait a second. It's like, it doesn't hurt anymore. Wow. So I do it again. And now it lasts for a couple of minutes and then it starts to get tight again. It feels like it's like it's like there's pressure there. So I do it again. I do it a couple of days in a row. My shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. I'm throwing the discus shop hunting javelin and I'm pole Vaulting and I'm doing bench press. So my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. And they told me I have a torn labrum, torn rotator cuff, um, impingement on the nerve, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a second, there's a magic range of motion for shoulder extension. When you get to it, your shoulders don't hurt. And that's when I realized. The number one shoulder injury is bicep tendonitis. Mm. It's not rotator cuff injury. It's not torn labrum. It's not must, um, nerve impingement. It's bicep tendonitis. What does that mean? The medical world understands the term, but they don't understand really what it is. What I'm saying is, is your biceps are too short. Your biceps cross two joints: your elbow joint and your shoulder joint. By straightening out your arm does not fully stretch the bicep. To finish stretching it, you have to stretch the top of it, which means you have to go all the way up to 120. Remember when you, were, when you were a kid in gym class and you'd hang upside down on the rings or a bar mm-hmm. and pull your legs all the way through? We'd be hanging at like 140 degrees. That's what all kids can do. Adults can't do them. Yeah,
2: that's when interesting. You back,
1: when you go back to that range of motion, your shoulders don't hurt because it's bicep tendinitis that causes the most pain in 90% of shoulder injuries. We've saved over 280 seals from shoulder surgery just by doing that stretch. Wow. So we found what I started finding was all these stretches. I told you about the hamstring. I got yeah. my nose to my knee, no more hamstring problem, no more low back problem, no more glute problem. Shoulders, uh, we call it arms behind and up. No fancy names like yoga. We don't call it some <laughs> fancy name. We call it arms behind and up. Another one, arm across. If you can't if you can do this and touch past your face, go all the way back and touch the back of your neck, then your posterior delt all across your shoulder blades, your levator scapula all the way up to your neck are too tight. Most people will get about here, hmm. but if you can't get there, you're too tight. Is that tight,
2: is that part of the reason that that people are getting migraines from that? Like, just the area that you po- pointed to is what you were what you were kind of describing it as as the beginning of the migraine. Is that is that one of the things that of, you work on?
1: Yeah, that's part of it because. Um, one of the muscles that all the way across the back to the shoulder blade, there's a muscle that goes from the corner of your shoulder blade up to your C2, C3 mm-hmm. in the neck. Yeah. That's where connects. called the levator scapula, elevates the scapula. Everybody who has a migraine, that muscle is red hot. So mm-hmm. what do we do? We, we, we have them do this stretch until they can reach all the way back and touch their neck. <clears throat> in order to get there, they may have to do a little bit of trigger point work. Um, trigger point work is not a therapy in itself. Trigger point work should aid your stretching. But since nobody has a standard for stretching, they don't know how far to go. So they think if this is a good stretch, you'll see pitchers doing this, but they don't go all the way back here. Look right. how much further I can pull my arm across. Right. So you're opening up to full ranges. All we're trying to do is get people to get back to the ranges of motion they could do when they were a kid. All kids do all my ranges, 24 ranges. That's what I was just
2: going to say. That was one of the things that I found the most interesting when I was just starting into your work is is it's like we're not trying to be a a Cirque du Soleil person here. We're not trying to be something that is super extraordinary. Most people can do this when they're a kid get any kid and ask him to do this. And I was like, Oh, well, my daughter has some friends over. I was like, here, can you, can you guys do this? Like sit down cross-legged, put your head on the floor. All of them, every single one of them, some are athletes, some are not every single one of them. No problem. Then I ask them to do a couple other things, very simple things and, and they can hit it. No problem. And I'm like, you know, that is You're exactly right. Like We have just lost that over time, either through overuse or through neglect or through whatever, just aging, I guess. And the lack, well, it is basically neglect though, right? Like we're not doing it.
1: Here's the thing about what I've found through years of doing this is about 20% of the population has natural flexibility. They're the people that go to yoga class and have fun. The other 80%... (laughs) The other eighty percent goes there, and they get hurt. It's like everything hurts at the end of the class. They don't get better. There's a lot of differences between what yoga does, and what we do. They don't have a standard. They don't have a plan. Well, that's
2: have- let's let's talk about that real quick. So I was gonna. That's on my list to talk about, like the differences between yoga and and what you do, because yoga is very popular, and and it can be very beneficial. There's no question about it. But what I'm getting out of your program is something entirely different than I've ever gotten out of any yoga.
1: Right. And I'm going to show you, uh, if I can here, if I can find it I'm a little chart. Looks like, I can't find it. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so there, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's about 12 differences between what yoga does and what we do. We have a standard, they don't.
2: So the standard, when you say that you mean like you should be able to sit cross-legged and put your head on the ground. Like that's 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 your standard. So each one of your movements should, I mean, it's like no matter who you are, no matter what you should be able to do this. And if you can't do that, then you need to work on that. That's a, that's a place that's a goal. That's the place you should be right. In in each one Uh, of these movements.
1: Yes. I'm going to backtrack just for a second, because you asked what's the difference between the kids and adults. And then I'll go back to your yoga. Mm -hmm. The difference is when kids, if you go to a playground, you watch kids play. And they hang on a bar, they swing, they go upside down, they swing one arm, they roll around on the ground. The only time we go up on a bar anymore is to do Mm chin-ups, right? We don't hang, we don't swing, we don't traction. Um, So when we start doing reps in life, meaning let's say there's a a 12-year-old kid who's a pitcher. By the time he's 16, he's already thrown tens of thousands of throws, okay? He's in the weight room. He's not doing flexibility work anymore. He's just throwing the baseball and then he's doing weights to try and strengthen his arm and his shoulder. They don't understand how that works. You have to have a basis of flexibility in order to do sports these days. <clears throat> in your sport, for example, when when uh, when I learned a little bit more about what you do as a professional fisherman, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking, you're talking. I don't know how how much these fish weigh, but when you're pulling in the sailfish that's what 600 pounds.
2: Yeah. That, you know, pulling in the fish is one thing, but where the real, where the real, um, trauma lies is being on the back of a skiff, a 16 foot boat, you have a push pole, which is almost identical to a pole vault pole. And you're pulling all day long. You're pushing into the wind, into the current all day long. A lot of times it's the if the wind is off your right shoulder and you're pulling a long way, you're going to pull with that pole on the same side of your body all day long. And Mm -hmm. there are no days off. I mean, you, we get into a season of like tarpon season. That's when the tarpon are there. Fishing guides go every single day, no matter what the weather is, no matter if you're hurt, no matter if you're sore, no matter if you're tired, you go just exactly the same as like what you were talking about in your decatholic training.
1: Right. It's called, it's called reps. Mm -hmm. You start going reps instead of playing, instead of doing things with your body that all kids do, uh, that's when we start losing because what we're doing is we're training our bodies to do just what we do. So if you're pulling, you're training your body to do just that. You're not doing range of motion in between just make sure your biceps aren't getting too tight. You're not doing what we call arms up and back to get make sure your lats stay loose enough. So when you lose those ranges of motion, medical labels, arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis, migraine headaches, tennis elbow, Blah, blah, blah. It goes right down the list. It's tension. When you can maintain my ranges of motion, for some reason no one's ever set a standard because they haven't figured out that you need a standard. Hmm. So if you can't go to 120 here, if you can't put your nose on your knee, <clears throat> if you can't sit with your legs crossed and lean forward and put your head on the floor, then you've lost low back flexion. Um, so it's it's the chart that we have with 24 ranges of motion gives people the map that that scientifically step-by-step step in, in exact progression i'll show you now uh, just a quick example um when we do when we start someone on a, on a routine there's 15 uh, lower body stretches this is kind of just a quick overview of it
2: mm-hmm.
1: notice um when physical therapists uh if you have a low back problem physical therapists will do a sit and reach test so in other words it'd be something like this putting trying to put your nose on your knee trying mm-hmm. to reach for your toes mm-hmm. either sitting down or standing up so if you're sitting down
2: Right. That's you. That's you. So you're, do, I like this because you, you can do everything that you're preaching. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm looking at these pictures. You've got your head on your knee. You're, you're hitting all these standards perfectly. You've got the quad stretch. Your back is on the ground. I mean, I always like that in, in anything that I do is that the person that is preaching this is, can actually do it themselves. That yeah. is hugely important to me.
1: For me, you have to walk the talk. Right. And, and if you're if you go to a physical therapist and they weigh 300 pounds, they're not really a physical leader. You yeah. know, they're in a, yeah. they're in a, they're in, a, in an industry that they need to lead. And so the example I was going to give was this is this is a lumbar flexion test in physical therapy. Sit and reach test. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the fourth level of lumbar flexion. There's an exact progression from a scientific standpoint. If you can't do this one, this what we call the sit cross lean. You sit cross your legs, lean forward. You can't put your head on the ground. You never get that's level one level two is this one where your feet are together. Now mm. knees out, leaning forward. If you can't do, if you can't do this one, you'll never get to the second level. Mm-hmm. If you can't do the second level. You won't get to the third level. If you can't do the third level, you'll never get to this. So rather than just sit and try and stretch your hamstrings all day long, work on each level, step one, step two, mm. step three, step four. I and understand. there's a progression, whether you, whether you're stretching your obliques on the side or whether you're stretching your lumbar flexion, or whether you're stretching your neck. We have three stretches just for the neck. You have to reach the standard. When you do, it's like being a kid again. I just discovered them through through necessity. They, yeah. You know, they said invention is is the...
2: Well, uh, that's interesting because that's kind of the segue I was looking for. Because what, what's interesting about your, sto- your story is that... You learned all this because you were so passionate about making the Olympic team. You wanted to be a decathlete. You realized you were undersized. You had to train harder and more than your competition, which caused you all kinds of problems. So where along the line did you start to understand, man, I am really on to something that this maybe could even become a program. I could help millions of other people to do things similar to this. There's huge crossover from what I'm doing. Lots of other people are having these same issues. And where along the line did, did, did your dream of the Olympics, um, not, not die, but kind of change and alter and you make this pivot towards, I can take what I've learned and apply it to the general population or not to the general population, How, working with the SEALs, for example. Like where along the line did you start to develop this into a program?
1: Well, through my training years and I'm training 10 hours a day, I basically had to stay flexible all day long. Um, when I'm going from the hurdles to the long jump or, or to the discus and then the pole vault and then the javelin, it's all different muscles. So I'm having to stay loose all day long. So this became my routine without knowing I didn't have a chart to follow. Mm -hmm. I didn't have my chart, which is what I use now. I was just, I knew I had to get my low back open to get my hamstrings open. And I knew I did do certain things for my upper body. To throw the discus after I'm done with the, with the hurdles. So I'm the only guy on the field that keeps moving from event to event without having these injuries anymore. So I started helping my friends, okay? The hamstring would hurt, the shoulder would hurt. I teach them this. And then I got to a point where uh, I'm, I'm running some of my own small businesses to try and sponsor my athletics. I had my own uh, health club at one point and I'm teaching all these athletes. So I get to the point where now I'm starting to teach this all the time. And then pro athletes start coming to me and they say, oh, my forearm, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional golfer. And um, he literally couldn't shake my hand because his forearm was so tight, <laughs> so problem, problematic. This guy is making you know millions of dollars as a professional yeah. golfer. He goes to the doctor, they can't do anything, he goes to the acupuncture, they can't do anything. Eight months, he's not playing golf. He can't shake my hand, can't take a club out of the bag because his forearm's too tight. So I he was my first professional athlete, to work with him. I went in, worked his forum. We're doing certain stretches that we do um, to open it up, doing some trigger points specifically on on the problem areas. And within three days, he's playing golf again. No issue, no problem. The word starts spreading.
2: Three days. Those are probably torturous three days though. I mean, like, Uh, like one of the things that, that people need to understand here is like, if you neglect your body or you, you know, it's kind of funny because like we're talking about polling or we're talking about somebody that plays golf and, and you're talking about like, you're, you're, you're conditioning your body to do that one thing. Well, Common sense or logic would think that your body would adapt to doing that one thing and that you would be able to do that one thing injury-free and that maybe when you tried other things, that's when you would get injured. But that's not the case because you just get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until something, like usually it's tendonitis, you know, if you love people do it all the time. They, they start playing tennis. Oh, this is my favorite thing. Why haven't I been playing tennis all my life? I love this. Let's play tomorrow. And then the next day and the next day and the next day, well, you're not ready for that. You get tighter, tighter, tighter. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, I love tennis, but I can't play anymore because my elbow's killing me. And, right. but, but that's not, I mean, that's not how your body works, I guess, is that if you do more and more and more of one thing, that tends to lead to what people refer to as an overuse injury or what you're to as, as tension. Why yeah. is, why is that, why is that, why does that happen? Because it sure does seem like that wouldn't happen.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a good concept or thought to think, well, my body will adapt to it. Right. Here's the problem. <clears throat> if I said, okay, here's a plan. I want you to go out and ruin your form. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go do backhand tennis a mm-hmm. hundred times <laughs> a day for, for six months and don't stretch, what are you going to do? You're going to build up tension, build up tension, build up tension to the point where the doctors don't know what to do anymore. And yet all you have to do is certain stretches, Mm -hmm. certain trigger points, to open it back up and then you can, you can work it and then you relieve it. Then you work it then you relieve it. You work it, you relieve it. Otherwise you're going tension on top of tension on top of tension on top of tension. And you get to a point where you can't use it anymore. Right? So it's a matter of balance. The human body can adapt to anything if you balance it. But if you overdo strength, 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 pounding, 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 pounding on, on the backhand, you're going to develop so much tension that you can't use it anymore. Right. Your body's trying to tell you something when there's pain there. So if you don't know how to read that, and that's what we teach how to read, there's 12 types of pain. Five of them are positive, Seven of them are negative. If you drop a rock on your foot over and over, that's really not a positive pain. You're not going to get any benefit from it. But if you stretch, and it's painful when you stretch, to a certain point, you can't go over a 7 out of 10 in pain, for example. If you stretch to a 7 and hold, your body says, okay, I'm going to slowly adapt. And you get a, a little, go a little bit lower, whether it's lumbar flexion or shoulder, whatever, work your way towards eliminating that pain. You're reading it. You're, you're working on positive uh, physiological result. Let me come back to what we were talking about. Um, why do adults... Um, have these problems because they they stop using their body in all the ways that kids do. So we do reps, we do reps, um, and then that leads us back into something like yoga. Yoga or this or the stretching, the minimal stretching that they do in physical therapy. I don't mean to jump on these people, they're great professions, but they're missing something. And people know that they're missing something because they don't get results. You go to a yoga class, there's no standards. So if you're doing what I call sit cross lean lumbar flexion. If you don't get your head to the ground, then you're missing the last part of what you need to release full tension to have your body function like a kid again. If you're not doing something to raise your arms, and how do you do that in yoga class? Unless someone's there to raise it, Mm -hmm. or unless you put it on the back of a chair and you lean forward, you're not able to do some of these things. you are not gonna do trigger point while you're there. You're not gonna do what we call the dead zone, which is a one minute rest between repetitions of stretches. We'll do three or four or five reps of the same stretch, Two minutes on one minute off two minutes on one minute off. they won't do that um, there's no plan every instructor is different so there has to be a scientific step-by-step method progression four levels of lumbar flexion you can't get to the fourth level till you get to the conquer the first second third working your way there so using the scientific step-by-step plan that we have to get 24 ranges of motion you're going to see progress um in physical therapy, when 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 if you have a shoulder issue, they'll put you on a band, they'll do internal, external rotation. Mm-hmm. They call that stretching. That's not stretching, those are reps. Stretching is taking it all the way back and holding it, getting certain ranges of motion, not for 30 seconds, holding it for two minutes, allowing the sarcomeres to start opening, then you take a one minute rest, then you mm-hmm. do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and then you find out you have elastic muscle again. They're not understanding that yet. And hopefully one day they'll all understand it. Hopefully. Hopefully they'll
2: all be teaching this. Do you do you notice that I mean there are certain sports that that have flexibility as a as a as a baseline um for functionality in that sport? Jiu-jitsu, uh lots of forms of karate and martial arts, uh wrestling. Yes, I mean, especially karate and martial arts, when I took to we would have an hour and a half class, we would stretch for 45 minutes that helped my flexibility more than anything. And it helped me in wrestling more than anything else. That was my sport was wrestling. And I noticed the years that I was taking Taekwondo, my wrestling improved without working on wrestling at all, because I was purely working on flexibility. I could almost do the splits. Um, and also, never got injured that year. Never hurt a hamstring. Never did anything. Do you notice that that people that are trained in in sports that have that kind of uh, flexibility as a and there's probably other sports too that that really focus on flexibility, but particularly martial martial arts. Um, do, do you notice that those people are are tend to be kind of a little bit better off because of their focus there, or or maybe later in life they are.
1: In general, yes, but. Here, here's an example that upsets that whole apple cart. (laughs) We have, we have a lot of yoga teachers that come to us with a bad back. Why? Mm. Because in a typical yoga class, they're going to do between 30 and 40 arching poses.
2: Mm.
1: They're open. They're, they're they're arching their low back. They don't do enough lumbar flexion poses. They may do 30 arching poses and four or five lumbar flexion poses where you're leaning to the front to, to take the arch out of your back. In my chart, we have a seven to one and a half ratio of the opposite. We'll bend forward seven times to every one and a half that we arch. Hmm. Complete, completely different formula. Um, so, and let's take gymnastics for example. Oh yeah, there's they do another one. Back bends. You know, they do back bends so that their arms are on the floor and their feet are on the floor. What happens to their low back? They arch, 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 arch. A lot of gymnasts have problems with low back later in life. We have to deal with that. How do we do that? We do the opposite. We do a lot of lumbar flexion poses. Hmm. We'll do this first level before we get to the second level, working our way down to being able to um, do the nose on the knee again. If you can't do these in a scientific way, in a step-by-step fashion, look, you go on the internet, there's a, there's a million free, free um, programs out there that, that'll teach stretching, but they can't fix low backs like we can. They can't get rid of a bulging disc. They can't get rid of migraine headaches. There's no specific standard for specific ranges um, that allows people to, if you hit our standard, you're just pain-free. Mm. It, it just, that's what it comes wow. down to. That's super and, and cool.
2: Um, how did you start working with the SEALs?
1: Um, I was working with a friend of mine named Phil McConkey. He used to play professional football back in the 80s. And I uh, met him when I moved to San Diego. He was out on the track running Masters Track and Field competition. And uh, Phil had had a knee problem for about 15 years and he was literally my size. He's 5'8, 160. And, and when he said he played professional football, I'm like, no way you're too small. <laughs> but the guy was lightning fast. So he had, he had that speed factor that even if you're small, if you got speed, you have something. I didn't have speed. I didn't have power. I didn't have any of that. Um, but Phil's knee problem. I said, well, why are you doing squats for your sprints? He says, well, no, I can't cause of my knee. I said, what's wrong with your knee? Well, I'm going to have to get surgery eventually. It's been 15 years. I said, well, I want you to try some of my ranges of motion, see if you can get some of the tension out of your knee. Oh, no, no, no. My knee is really injured. I'm like, okay, well, let's try the ranges of motion. So he came to see me three times. Completely fixed the knee problem. He's doing squats. He competes in Masters Track and Field. He's highly ranked every year, still at age 60-some. And bottom line is, he was in the Navy, and he introduced me to some people he knew in the Navy SEALs. And the first day we went there, we both drop down into our quad stretch, which is if you know the quad stretch, it's this one right here.
2: Yeah. So you you basically are are sitting on your ankles with yep. you. You're, just for people that are listening audio, you sit on your ankles and you just fall right, kind of back. back all the way until your shoulder blades and head are on the ground. So it's almost like laying prone, except your your knees and ankles are underneath you, and it's right. torturous at first. But I've managed to get closer to the standard
1: <laughs> it's work it's definitely work but we did that in front of a couple of seals and they said wait don't move they go out in the hallway they bring in 14 guys all in uniform i'm like whoa these guys are serious so as we showed some of these ranges of motion and i said look i, I didn't realize i was going to be talking to this many guys today i don't want to waste your time i felt guilty all these uniform you know higher up uh, navy seals and 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 i thought well let me show you what i do to to speed up the process I said, who here has a shoulder issue? I'll, sh- I'll work with one of you in front of the class. Everybody raises their hand. I'm like, okay, now I get it. You guys are way, way overboard as far as the training, as far sure. as injury. And so uh, the first guy that I work with, I said, well, sir, let me work with you. You know, Tell me what's wrong. He says, I have a slap tear. A slap tear is superior labrum, um, anterior to posterior, which means the labrum, the rim around the socket is torn all the way. And And I didn't know this at the time, but this guy's muscular. He's um, actually, I, I I did a quick assessment in front of the class. I said, I can probably fix your shoulder in an hour. And he says, how are you gonna do that? The, the labrum's torn. I said, well, I'm just telling you, just follow what I'm saying and we'll spend an hour and I'll show you. And when I tested his range of motion, it was almost perfect. So I knew he just had to finish it and then he wasn't gonna have the pain. It wasn't the labrum that was creating the pain. It was bicep tendonitis mm. and also the posterior delts. So we do some of this stretch and we do some of the stretch behind. And so we actually stretched the next day for one hour. He wrote a letter that knocked the socks off, the whole SEAL, his seal community. He said, this is it. This is the missing ingredient. This is what the science has missed. You've got to have flexibility to a standard, and then you can move, and then nothing hurts. Hmm. So that that was it. We, we did a seminar. At the so so
2: in, in a case like that, he's got a tear that they've probably seen with an MRI. They can see that there's physical damage in there. Right. But that doesn't necessarily hurt because it doesn't have nerve endings there or whatever. And so, but the whole area is super inflamed because, um, because it's not working efficiently. And then you go in and get out the bicep tendonitis or, or work on that for a little bit and no more pain. So he can totally function with a slap tear as long as he has the, the flexibility. That's what you're saying, right? Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. And what was interesting is, I just picked him randomly out of the 14 people. They all had their hands up because he was standing in front of me. I didn't know he's the head doctor, the head of the physical therapy department. <laughs> I didn't good know choice, I, good pick. <laughs> yeah, of all the people, right? So, and literally in an hour, his shoulder doesn't hurt. So he wrote a letter and it went all around the SEAL community. So we've been, we've been with the Navy SEALs for about 10 years now. Um, great, great community work. That's how I met Dave Goggins. Um, Dave Goggins at first thought the stuff that we taught was effing stupid. Yeah, uh,
2: sounds just, he he just sounds said, exactly like what he would have said. <laughs>
1: something like that, um, and you know, literally, um, you know, Dave and those and, and all those guys—they train so hard. They train a lot. They, they overtrain, and we identified three things the first day. Number one, you're not doing any flexibility. Number two, um, you're overtraining, and number three, you're not integrating your program properly. By by that, what I mean is, um, let's say that you're you're a triathlete and you're you're running five days a week you're biking four days a week you're swimming you know four days a week and you're lifting weights so if you're lifting weights and then you go out for a run that's improper integration of training you can't when you're in the weight room you're not getting stronger you're breaking muscle down. you have to rest after that to get stronger you have to eat and rest so if you lift weights when you're breaking muscle down then you go out for a run you're taking a chance on injuring those muscles because you're you're running on broken down muscles if you do box jumps if you do um sprints afterwards you're 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 taking a really big risk. And that's why people hurt all the time is because they're not training properly. And when, when we go into the whole CrossFit world, my brother, like you said, the national champ or a, a world champion for four times, he still has had injuries because he has not taken the, at first, the flexibility seriously enough. He's doing it much more now. And um, he's literally getting younger as he, as he ages.
2: Mm-hmm. He looks, uh, he looks younger. He really looks like he's about 45 and he's 65 plus.
1: Yeah, he's a stud. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a great athlete. He, he's totally dedicated. Same with Dave Goggins. Inspired so many people, uh, just trains and trains and trains. But without flexibility, they would not be able to do what they
2: do. Well, I mean, in, in his book, he's, he's basically saying that as much as he trained and the, the way he was training and what he was trying to get his body to do basically was killing him. And he had this weird bump on the back of his head and, and he couldn't, nobody could really diagnose it. And then he starts this stretching program with you. And, um, just like you say, within a very short amount of time, he noticed some improvement, which he was getting zero improvement with all the medical treatment and all this other stuff. And this is in his book, can't hurt me. And then, then he realized, okay, well, maybe he didn't realize at first that this is the missing ingredient, but he thought, this is the only thing that is helping me. So as hard as I run, as hard as I lift, as hard as I work out, I'm going to take the stretching to that degree. And he went after it like a maniac, like the maniac that he is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super dedicated, super, no mental weaknesses, just do what you got to do. But if you're, if you're just running and you don't ultra marathons and you're doing biking across the country in eight days, I mean, you know, setting a world record or, Chin-ups, he has a world record for 4,000 chin-ups in mm-hmm. 17 hours. Um, when you're doing things like that, you're contracting, contracting, you're creating tension to the point where the best analogy I can give you is your muscles become, instead of instead of like normal meat, they freeze.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: He had frozen steaks all over his body. His whole body was one big frozen muscle. And you can't get blood through a frozen steak. You can't inject blood into a frozen steak. It has to be defrosted. And what we're doing is defrosting all the frozenness that people are having there's a term for shoulder problems if you can't move it they call it frozen shoulder mm-hmm. your whole body becomes frozen if you put your leg in a cast for a year and don't move it you take it out you can't move it it turns into a big bone it's like the calcium deposits everywhere so you got to keep the flexibility you got to keep the mobility keep the joints moving get the blood flow if you don't have blood flow you're sunk mm. do you remember you remember decades ago that there was a thing called the cardio revolution. Everybody's out yeah. running, they're distance running. Yeah. and they're keep the heart pumping and the heart will be healthy. People are falling over a heart attack at age 55. And so it was like the whole theory of the cardio revolution. The problem was they're running and running and running and running, they're creating tension. The heart's pumping as hard as it can, but it can't pump blood through a frozen state. Everybody was freezing. Their, their muscles were just, were, were tensing up to the point where you can't you can't flow anymore. Mm. And so your heart is wor- working so hard it just stops working. a Heart attack, problem. Hmm. So we're teaching people how to defrost the muscles so that they can move again, so they can be 17 years old forever. People laugh when I say that. We are we are teaching the Fountain of Youth. There's three parts to the Fountain of Youth. Number one is you have to have flexibility to the standard of being like a kid again. That's what we're teaching. Number two is the nutritional aspect. You've got to have good good chemistry in your body. The third part is learning how to control your metabolism through a deep breathing meditation. When you slow down your metabolism, your immune system works just like when you're sleeping. But when you're revved up all day, sixteen hours a day of the twenty-four hour period, um, it's like holding the gas pedal down uh, all day long. Your body just can't flow. You have to slow your metabolism down by slowing the brainwave frequencies down by doing deep breathing meditation. When you do that, your body can flow. Hmm. So that's the Fountain of you, three parts.
2: Well, I want to I want to go back to that, but I want to ask one thing because, like, when you're when you know. I, I've done enough of of what you're teaching to understand that that what you're saying is legit. It's it's benefited me greatly. I want to I- implement some of the other things. So one of my goals is to make it to the CrossFit Games. And you, even with being as close to it as your brother, you're just like eh, CrossFit. You know, it doesn't. You don't train properly, right? But the point being, okay, fine. Maybe maybe there's some 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 problems there. But the fact is that your brother wants to go to the CrossFit Games. That is a goal that he's set. He enjoys being world champion. I would like to go to the CrossFit Games. That's an event that exists. So I want to train for it and get there. And, and then the Navy SEALs are saying, okay, we, are, we need to be prepared for anything. We need to be able to parachute in place, run a marathon, drag some heavy stuff someplace, sit for days without moving any uh, then go swimming for, you know, then swim 20 miles, whatever. Like they have to be prepared for the unknown and, and, and be, be ready for anything and then be bulletproof. They, they really need to be able to, could you lay there for for 24 hours and then get up and run a marathon as fast as you possibly could. Like they have to be ready for that. They have to, Um, that's, that's, those are the possible demands of war and, and then some, right. So when, how do, you, how do you get their attention? How do you get the CrossFitters' attention? How do you get a tennis player's attention that, like you told me before, that you had a tennis player that had a bad IT band and you were suggesting certain things and he just wouldn't take, his ta- take time off. He wouldn't do what you wanted him to do. How do you get these different cultures' attentions to ch- change the, the programming, to change the training so that they can train for what they want to do? Like you see what I'm saying? Like CrossFitters want to go to the CrossFit games. Now maybe we're training improperly to, and getting injured in the process, you know, because we want to do that. We're trying to go extra. We're trying to do extra things. Maybe that's detrimental. How do you, how do you kind of get people back in line to, to the things that you've learned?
1: Okay. Yeah. No, excellent. Excellent question. People are looking for shortcuts and, (laughs) They're, they're they're willing to train hard, whether it's CrossFit, tennis, whatever it is, because they have a goal. On the way to that goal, if they get to a point where they're overtraining and start to hurt, then we show them how not to hurt anymore. When they don't hurt anymore, they can train more. So So if it's a Navy SEAL and he's overtraining, he's training seven days a week, six days a week, and we're saying they come to us and they have and they have a torn labrum in their shoulder, and they have bulging discs in their low back, and they, they can't bend over to tie their shoe anymore. They can't pick up their 30-pound kid, but they expect to carry a 200-pound Navy SEAL off the field if they're, if they're you know in, in a war situation. Mm-hmm. So we show them literally the first day. If we can nail them down for an hour and a half, we can show them how to increase range of motion in one area, like their shoulders. It goes a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. We do some trigger point on the bicep tendon, we go a little bit further, we get to the point where, oh, that feels much better. Why? Because we're unlocking some of the fibers that were too tight that they weren't using. In other words, if, they, if when you go to a physical therapist and, and if you, you tell them your right shoulder hurts, they test you, they test your strength in both shoulders. This one's gonna test weak if it's sore. They think it shows weakness. It's not necessarily weakness. It's because some muscle fibers are locked. So you can't use very many muscle fibers. If 40% of your muscle fibers in the right shoulder are locked, it's going to test weak. They want to make it stronger. And I'm saying, no, let's get the kinks out. So you can use hundred percent of your fibers. Mm-hmm. Then it's going to test much stronger than the other one. But if you don't have range of motion, you can't do that. Your muscles are locked. So, so if we get them to start being a little bit pain-free, then they want to know more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the hardest thing is to get a Navy SEAL to stop, uh, lifting weights. No, I got to lift weights. Well, I'll do the stretching, but I got to lift weights. Okay. Well then you need to stretch twice a day because you need to catch up because you're creating too much tension. No, I got to lift weights. Okay. Then do me a favor. Take off for three days. Tell me if you feel better after three days, but I want you to stretch twice a day, hour and a half to two hours a day in the building phase. It's not forever. It's just while you're building your flexibility, you get to a certain point. They come back three days later. Oh my God, it went up in the bench press. So I felt much better. Why? Because you have more muscle fibers to use. Right. If you're locked because the doctor says you have arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis, tennis elbow, blah, blah, blah. That, that just means you have tension. If we unlock you, all those diseases just kind of like go away. <laughs> so so it makes sense to people when they stop hurting, they feel better. They've had migraine headaches for literally, we have some some clients 20 or 30 years and we get rid of them in three days. Wow. And it's like, oh my God, there's a life out there outside of my migraine knife that's in my head. Right. And, and so to answer your question, people are, they're focused on goals. They want to do triathlon. They want to do, you know, uh, Navy SEAL training, whatever it is, CrossFit. If they would learn to integrate their tra- training properly and have standards for range of motion, it's the foundation for everything. I define it as this. There's four pillars of fitness to me. You have flexibility, strength, conditioning, and cardio. People used to think cardio is most important. Then you build strength and, condition- and conditioning. I'm saying, no, the foundation, there's not four wheels to the car there's a foundation that the other three wheels are built on foundation is flexibility. If you don't have it, everything hurts. Hmm. Wow. So if we build that foundation and do so people think sometimes that we just teach stretching. We don't teach stretching. We teach stretching to a standard with a progression in a a step-by-step scientific plan. Going through the building phase to get to the maintenance phase. We figure in age, injury, et cetera, et cetera, how to work into your workout, how how you do proper warm-up, et cetera, et cetera. So we have 18 criteria, not just how long to stretch or what yeah. to stretch.
2: Yeah. That's a that's awesome. Well, it's only taken me about 52 years to to start to understand uh, a little bit of this, especially that, you know, that flexibility is is the that's the foundation. And and really if it and and I have a group of I don't know, maybe 30, 40 guys that are all around my age that we all train together and they tend to look to me to, you know, put this whole program together and everything. And, and since I've been working on your stuff, I've been integrating more and more and more and more flexibility in it to the point of even like a whole day dedicated to this to show them, like, look, this is what you need to be doing. You can do it here, you can do it somewhere else, but you just got to be doing these kind of things. And uh, everybody's, you know, getting, getting big benefits out of it. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about before we finish up, we've been going for almost an hour now. Um, you said that there are three, in your opinion, there's three parts to, to overall health and wellness and that was flexibility nutrition. And so let's touch on the nutrition just, just a, just a bit in your, in your opinion, like what does that include?
1: Okay. Um, I think the first genius in nutrition was a guy by the name of Barry Sears. Yeah. He wrote a book, oh, yeah. a book called Zone.
2: Mm-hmm. That was and a big, like, big thing for me. I, I learned so much about just how food works, what food yeah. is, what macronutrients are, and stayed on that program for a long time. So very familiar right. with the Zone.
1: Yeah. Um, and and um, I, I've talked to Barry Sears, um, not a lot, but we've talked a few times and I've read his books. That, I think he was the first genius that changed things in nutrition. What he said was the most important supplement you're ever going to take is food. It's not vitamins, mm-hmm. not meds. It's food because food creates the foundation for your chemistry. Supplements are just the icing on the cake. You got to have the cake. Um, and so what he, I, I, I'm an advocate of his program. There's some additional things that that I've learned, you know, through the years that, that we all learn, but um, whether you're, whether you're, um, first thing you have to do is establish how much protein you need in your, in the demand that your body has, which means that you have to know what your lean body mass is. Meaning if you're 200 pounds and you have 20% body fat, you have 160 pounds of lean body mass that you have to, uh, supply with protein to build every day. Now, if you're, if you're that person and you sit and you knit all day long and you're 80 years old, you don't necessarily have the same demands as a CrossFit guy who's the same body. Right. So, um, Someone who's going to sit all day and be, and be dormant may need only half of those 160 pounds of lean body mass in grams of protein per day. They may only need 50 or 80 grams of protein. If you're active doing CrossFit and you're training three hours a day, six days a week, you're going to need 160 grams compared to your 160 pounds of, pro, of, of lean body mass. Mm-hmm. So first thing you have to do is establish how much protein you need. Then whatever amount of protein you, you need, you need a certain amount of ca- complex carbohydrates, vegetables and fruits. The things that nature makes for us, um, not stuff that's baked and and you know processed. Um, the, the more that you process, the worse it gets from a nutritional standpoint. So I'm a real advocate of Barry Sears' program. Um, knowing your protein needs, then you have complex carbohydrates, then you're applying carbohydrates after that, which is the which is the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it and then whether you decide you want plant-based protein right. or meat. Right. That, that's a decision individually you have to make. There's pros and cons for both. Yeah.
2: And there's tons of different programs. You could what you're saying is the 40 30 30, you know, 40% of your car of your calories from carbohydrates, 30% from fat, 30% from protein. That's a good solid program whether that's a vegetarian program or a vegan program or some sort of uh meat-based program. As long as you're meeting those requirements, you're probably doing yeah. pretty well, right?
1: Yeah. That's the foundation. Then right. then the specifics from there whether you have certain specific needs, you need a little bit more of certain vitamins, certain minerals that may lead you to, like, like for example, when we talk about calcium and magnesium absorbing into the muscles that we're stretching now, open these little gaps, you got to have calcium and magnesium. Normally, the, the body has a two to one ratio of calcium and magnesium. If you need more magnesium, which helps release the muscle a little bit more, you need green leafy vegetables. So a lot of salads, spinach, you know, things that have that magnesium content go to the internet, look up magnesium foods, and it'll give you a list. So those are things, you, you know, weigh a little bit heavier. Um, so that's how you get more specific with your, uh, with your nutrition.
2: Gotcha. Now, the final piece of this is, is, uh, is, is the power of the mind. And when I looked into what you're, what you do, even just this morning, it said that you have done a tremendous amount of work on that, including um, studying hypnosis, and um, and also probably other techniques, what we we had discussed meditation techniques before. but uh, to me, as I age, I love to work out. I love training, I love it, and I find that it is more for my mind than it is for my body. And in order for me to to receive these benefits that I that I receive from my mind, I've got to make flexibility a big, big part of of the training, so that I can continue to do that, so that I can continue to get the benefits to my mind. But the the mental uh, benefit that I get out of training, quite honestly, I am building my mind far more than I can build my fifty two year old body at this point. Like I can make huge gains in my mental. Uh, abilities like I can take on challenges I can do millions of things things that I haven't even touched yet I feel like the potential of of training the mind is is I'm just scratching the surface at 52 where at 52 eh, you know maybe I mean you know at 100 you can only do so much you can only do so much more at 52 I feel like I still have unlimited potential but not like the mind so I'm really interested in in kind of Where you go with this mental training and the hypnosis is interesting. I've never done anything like that. So uh, did that all start with your own athletic career and, and um, achievements that you did through mind training?
1: Yeah. It's, it's always a matter of, of, for me, if you conquer the mind, you can conquer the body. And so from, from very um, young when I'm, when I'm loving sports and I'm a small guy and I, I, I love to compete, so I, I read all the stuff that I could, all the books I could on subconscious mind and learning about hypnosis. And And if there's some mental tricks, I want to learn them. I want to know what they are. Eventually I got certified in hypnosis. By the time I got certified uh, from the largest organization, National Guild of Hypnotists, I, I pretty much knew more than the instructor. I had to answer some questions wrong on the test just to get right on there. So they give me the certification, <laughs> but wrong on some things um, you just learn by doing. And um, it's, Hypnosis is, w- which you, you work on, you know, focusing in athletics, you work on um, uh, meditation, you work on visualization. It all leads towards, hypnosis kind of has a funny um, stigma about it that it's like stage hypnosis where right. people do fun, like a chicken, whatever. Bottom line is all it is is the ability to focus. And when we're, when we're awake in this, in our normal lifetime during the day, you know, we use five physical senses to sense what's going on around us when we start slowing down through the deep breathing, meditation, hypnosis, whatever it is, what you're doing is you're, you're eliminating stimuli from outside of you and you're getting to a a better area to focus. It's like, sometimes you'd be driving on the, on the freeway, you go right by your exit because your mind is like deep into something else.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah.
1: And and so it's a matter of how do you get to that mental state? If you can relax yourself physically and mentally first, and then go towards um, your goals, visualizing your goals. What do kids do? A, a, a young kid that loves baseball, they go to the professional um, stadium and they're dreaming yeah, about what they're being at. So they're hypnotizing themselves. They're creating this mental image visualization. And so what, what happens with adults, they get so busy, they're, they're running their business and they're, and they're worried about money and family and vacations and to-do lists and blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's like, okay, now I got to work out. Well, you got to have that vision as your underlying theme of what is your goal. Then you do your business and stuff, but you come back to your theme. At the end of the day, you go do your three-hour CrossFit workout. Otherwise, it's like, oh, I'm so tired today. My calf hurts. My shoulder hurts. Ah, I, have to, I have to make these phone calls yet. So it's a matter of, again, setting priorities, knowing what your, what your goals are. It all starts with a dream. How do you dream? You visualize. You calm down. You focus on it. For me, it was always about every night at the end of training – If I had any time left, I would try and find something motivational, whether it's it's reading or watching a a movie, watching Rocky, watching some of the Mm -hmm. motivational movies. (laughs) I would always stimulate my mind, never take motivation for granted. Work on the motivation as much as you work on your body. And if you keep building that dream, keep building the dream, keep building, I'm going to make it to the Olympics. I don't care what they say. More people tell me, no, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. You keep finding ways. That's what helped me get to where I am developing these things that have now helped you know, thousands of people. Yeah. So it,
2: it, it is absolutely a real thing. I mean, there is no question about it. There's so many Olympic athletes that, I mean, I think even Michael Phelps, they, they were like, well, how does it feel to, to win? And he was like, well, I, 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 I wanted this every day. Like he had been thinking about this every single day and you have, you you have like drills where you would, you would, you know, maybe it's, a um, some sort of, um, Uh, an event where you know exactly what you're supposed to do. And if you visualize exactly from the beginning to the end over and over backwards and then do it forwards and backwards and then do it forwards, man, it, it is such an incredible tool. Um, It seems like it should be taught and, and rarely is it ever taught um, so yeah. that's that's super interesting but did you ever talk to David Goggins about that cuz that's so much of what he talks about is like how he's trying to break his mind and how he's trying to all his training is is basically mental and now his mind is so strong and that's why he has to go to these unbelievable lengths to try to break it like he's not yeah. breaking it and and you know the seals like he's just one of of all of those guys like they're all like that they're just cr- just their, yeah. their mind is so strong that they can't break it. And that has, that only comes through training, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: Um, they're an extraordinary bunch. Dave is an extraordinary individual. Um, very, very strong mentally, strong physically. Um, he's always challenged himself once he made decisions of where he's going to go in life with his goals, coming from a very, very troubled childhood, uh, making those decisions, setting those goals and just saying, that's it. That's my life. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so strong he is, uh, obviously has some problems then with injuries, had some problems with, with, um, got to the point where his body was so frozen up. All the medical doctors, everybody, they had, at one point he, had, he was on 17 meds and he was all screwed up. And that's when he said, you know what? I'm dying. He called me up soon after that. And he said, Joe, I, th- I thought that stuff, all that stuff you were teaching about stretching was effing stupid. And, and he says, it saved my life. And, and I said, well, you know, your dedication saved your life. Your, your your visualization of your goals and and not accepting no for an answer is what saved you. I'm helping to give you a little bit of path, you know, uh, on the way to refine your process. But, um, I mean, it's been great. We have a great relationship with working with the SEALs, working with uh, most pro athletes. One thing I do want to say, a lot of pro athletes and a lot of successful people get to where they get to, in spite of what they do, not because of what they do. (laughs) And I think it's a really important point because I was following all these big guys around in the decathlon thinking, well, if I do what they do, I'm going to be world-class too. But, you know, of the three hours they're working out, they're standing around like this, talking to the guy with their arms folded, like for half an hour while I'm pole vaulting. You know, I'm like, well, why aren't you guys pole vaulting? Why aren't you doing the hurdles? What are you doing standing around? I'm here for 10 hours. You're here for three hours and you're not getting there. And at one point I had a guy who was ranked number one in the world come to me and said, this is when I was wearing my, um, weighted vest. He <laughs> well, he saw I'm out there all day long, every day, seven days a week. And he says, Joe, I want to train with you next year. I said, well, I'm flattered. You're ranked number one. I'm ranked like number 32 in the country. And I said, why would you want to train with me? He says, cause I know if I train with you, nobody will ever beat me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, I said, look, you're welcome to try. you're not going to make it. You're not going to do what I'm doing. You just, I don't think you have the dedication to do it. And I'm just point blank with him. And he says, well, God gave me talent and he gave you desire. I said, you know what? That's bullshit. You you gotta, you gotta like up your, your goals. You gotta up your mental, man. I said, I said, you try, you want to train with me? Go for it, man. But you know, uh, see me here tomorrow, but you're not going to make it. So it's a, it's a cop-out. I've seen Olympic athletes uh, one in particular um, that won three gold medals in an event, I won't say the name, but that person won when they were 18 years old, won a gold medal, set a world record. Four years later, won a gold medal again, didn't break a world's record. Four years later, wins a gold medal again, doesn't break another world record. That person is worshipped as, oh my gosh, a three-time Olympian, three-time gold medal, world record, well, they must know everything. The person won at 18. They didn't know anything at 18. They had a lot of talent. They never developed the talent. Four years later, a worse score. Um, Four years after that, a worse score. So if you're not improving every year, you haven't tapped into what your potential is. Mm. What I'm saying is is you can't just follow the Olympians around. You have to figure it out and, and go to the people who have been successful when they weren't successful when they started people who weren't Olympians at age 16 or 14, you know, work your way up. Um, The people who have improved the most is the people I want to go to of the 40 coaches I've had where I was continually searching for for two decades of learning more, learning more, learning more. There's only five that I'd go back to. The other 35 wasted my time. Mm -hmm. I threw thousands of throws wrong, thousands of jumps wrong. You develop wrong technique. You're screwing up three years of your training. Um, so it's, you gotta go, you don't to go to your best friend to learn how to t- train for the triathlon, go to who improved the most in the triathlon and learn what they did. That's, that's what I said. Um, I improved more than any, uh, athlete ever in the decathlon. And I was, I sucked when I started and I got to be on the verge of being world-class, never made the Olympic team, but I also didn't have a sponsor. Some of the guys who had so much talent, they started off at 8,000 points. They have sponsors. They never have to work. I was working and training. So, um, you know, go to people that that have improved. Look at what Dave Goggins accomplished. How did he do it? Strong mental, figuring out how to train properly, um, figuring out how to get to a world record in the the chin-ups, running 150 miles, Um, read books, learn, just keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. That's what it's about
2: yeah hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard that's that's the uh, that's the old the old adage but man I'm I am so happy that we could have this conversation I really am and I'm so happy that I found your stuff I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing on with the with the flexibility portion of it but I want to talk to you more um, about the nutritional uh, which I think I kind of have dialed in but you could probably help me and then the uh, all the all the stuff that you're doing with the mind is is super interesting and super super cool So I know that there'll be a lot of people that want to tap into a lot of what you do. So how do they do that? I know you got a book coming out. We didn't even mention that, but that's going to come out this summer, right?
1: Yeah, that should come out this summer. Um, My website is ultimatehumanperformance.com. Ultimatehumanperformance.com. They can certainly contact me through that. Um, We are planning right now. Probably uh, our next seminar. We've gone pretty much around the world with some seminars and, and certifications. Um, the next one we're planning is London. We put it all four times now because of the COVID problem and travel restrictions. Um, but we've decided we're going to have one here in July, probably mid July, around July 16th, three day seminar, where people come in from all over and we stretch little if you're three out of the four hours, and then we talk and answer questions. But when you stretch for three hours, you make an impact on your body. Then you come back the next day and do it again (laughs) the next day. So three days, three hours stretching per day is like a shock treatment for the body and it's like whoa but now I can move better and things hurt less and I understand how to do it how to train properly um it, one of the things we might want to do Tom you might want to think about is uh maybe do a zoom session for your people yeah and we'll we'll do an hour and a half where anybody who wants can join in and we'll we'll teach them we'll take them through some ranges of motion over and over and see the development their body just starts to open up like a flower
2: um Man, that would be amazing
1: something to think about
2: that would be amazing it's so cool what um what technology offers now but you know you could have people from all over the world all over the country doing that and that could uh that could be a real real gift to a lot of a lot of the people that are listening to this because i know that they're just like i was either they train really hard or they fish really hard or they or or on the other hand they have neglected their body and everything hurts it doesn't have to hurt it doesn't have to hurt I'm telling exactly. you, and uh, Joe's okay. telling you, it doesn't have to hurt. Um, sure. There are things you can do about it. But I want, um, to, say one, I want to say one more thing. Tom. Yeah.
1: Um, by meeting you, uh, I, first of all, I'm very appreciative of doing the podcast. I'm very appreciative to meet you. Um, if I if I uh, understand it right, you you've been ranked in the top what 30 in the country in your age group. In the world, you're you're going to go <laughs> nothing but upward from now on. And uh, you know your willingness to learn, your willingness to do the workouts when I was on the, um, uh, zoom with you. And as you're walking through the house, walking through the garage, I see your whole setup. I (laughs) see how you are about training. That's awesome. What you've accomplished is fantastic. Keep going, keep learning, keep progressing. Um, and I'd love to work with you and any of your people, uh, it would be an opportunity for me. I'd be, All
2: right. I'd be- well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I love it and I want to continue doing it. And uh, then, you know, just like we talk about, sometimes you encounter little injuries and, and they keep you from doing the thing that you love to do. And in this case, a lot of these people are having trouble fishing because their back hurts or they're having trouble pulling the boat because their shoulder hurts. And there's yeah. tons of, tons of those uh, things and in a lot of ways, this could, this could be what you're looking for. So anyway, ultimatehumanperformance.com, Joe Hippensteel, Thank you so much for sharing your uh, expertise and all of your knowledge with us. And um, if that's something you need, which probably 90% of the people that are listening to this have something hurting, uh, this is a good resource. It's really been beneficial for me. All right, Joe, thank you. I know you got a lot of people to go help today. So thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you soon.
1: Thank you, Tom, for the opportunity. Stay loose. All right. See you.